0: Good morning to everyone. My name is Christian, and I'm the lead pastor here at Renaissance Church. It's my great pleasure to be with you. I'm going to tell you right off the bat what I want you to see this morning. This morning, I would like you to see how God's power brings peace. For those who choose to move forward in faith, faith and I want you to see this through the story of one man who was oppressed, but then moved by God from anxiety to peace, and his name was Gideon. Uh, If you know what it's like to be trapped in anxiety, not theoretically, but you know it from your own experience even now, this is for you. You are here for a reason this morning. Many of us know what it's like to be in, in anxiety. Many of us know that. Many of our beloved friends and family members know. Some of us are trapped in a pit and it's so deep we can't even see it. Uh, the, the living and vital you was buried a long time ago under it, and you, you say, now I'm not anxious, uh, and your cell phone keeps you from seeing it as you're pushing diamonds around and they're exploding and making you happy. What's that game called? Or is it candy for you? Candy Crush. Kill your phone. Okay, I got that out of my way. Uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, was a was a man of God who lived in a time of national anxiety like our time, and his ears were open to God, and he made a promise that God would bring the peace that everyone there needed and and which each one of us, whether we see it or not, are in desperate need of. In verse 6 of chapter 9 of Isaiah's book, he writes, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, these are words about Jesus, who would be born to bring peace to a world that was racked in anxiety and swallowed up in war. Their words about the son who was given to us, the baby who was born in the manger, who already at his birth was a king, upon whose shoulder authority rested. And when Isaiah made this promise, he didn't yet know the contours of your anxiety, but what he knew definitively, which is true and trustworthy, which I stand before you this morning in full confidence to tell you, is that in Christ, peace has come and it is for everyone who is willing to walk forward in faith. And the story of Gideon is going to teach us that as we consider how Christ is mighty God and how in his might, the one who is God with us in his apparent vulnerability, who is powerful in his apparent defeat on the cross, is the one who comes to be right with us where we ourselves are trapped in anxiety so he can free us with his might, which we don't have but which we need. And it is through the story of Gideon that we'll see how this works. We know that Isaiah had Gideon in mind because in the verse before this, in in verse 4 of chapter 9, he makes a reference that tells us what's in his mind. Look at verse 4. This is a promise of how God will deliver. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor, you have broken Three images of of oppression there, which would have certainly resonated with the folks back then. A yoke was an instrument that bound two oxen together, so whether they wanted to or not, they had to work in the same direction. A bar across the shoulders was the tool that a slave driver used to increase the amount of weight that could be placed upon a person's shoulders to get more out of them. The rod of the oppressor, that was the instrument of force that the driver used to keep you going beyond what was good for you. Maybe you've never experienced that literally, but am I right that some of you know just what it's like to experience that emotionally? Yes or no? Or, or mentally, to be under it to that degree? Uh, maybe very few of us will have experienced it physically, but maybe some of you have been the victim of physical abuse, and you know what that's like. Whether we see it or not, all of us will live with the kind of spiritual oppression that comes when we're not where we're meant to be, when we're bound up in anxiety. Then we have the yoke and the bar and the rod against us. Here, Isaiah promises that it will be broken. And that's a promise that Christ has come to break everything that would hold us back. What will it be like when he breaks it? Look at the last phrase in verse 4. It will be as on the day of Midian. Here's where Isaiah lets it out, that what's in his mind is a story of... Of Gideon, the story of how God came to one man who was trapped and with his power freed him as Gideon learned to trust God and move forward in faith. For every one of you here who knows anything at all about what it's like to be trapped, In anxiety, whether it's at school or at work or following your path in ministry or just the daily routine has become so grinding it's pushed you down or trying to figure out where to move next or how you're going to make ends meet. This is a story for you. Here's the backstory of Gideon. We're going to take our time through it this morning together. Uh, the, The people of Israel were under it because of a national enemy, the Midianites. They were their neighbors in the land that God had given them to settle in. And the Midianites were far more numerous and far more powerful than the people of Israel, and they had no love at all for God's people. They made themselves into enemies who turned the life of the Israelites upside down and made it impossible for them to experience any of the vitality and joy that God wanted them to have. They were driven, because of the threat of the Midianites, into the mountains, into a life in hiding in caves, Whenever they planted their crops, the Midianites would come and, and, and steal them. They, they stole their livestock. There was literally nothing the Israelites could do to escape the misery that this enemy brought upon them, and this is where we meet Gideon. Before we look at him, maybe some of you know from your own experience of life right now what it's like to find your life inhibited by an enemy that has more strength than you do, and there's nothing that you can do to overcome it. It might be a literal enemy or a figurative one. It might be emotional or spiritual, financial. It could be any number of circumstances. Are you connecting in any way? If so, don't make a noise. Just go like this. Okay, I saw that, at least in the first couple rows. Here's where we meet Gideon, and this is in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Judges. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Israelite. This is the, a place where the Israelites lived. And, and while the angel came to sit under that oak, listen, his son, that's Joash's son, Gideon, was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And on the one hand, Gideon is doing the most ordinary thing that would have happened in those days, which is beating out wheat. Wheat. When a person beats out wheat, they gather all of the sheaves together. They strike it repeatedly with a a rod to break up the husks from the kernels uh, of the wheat that they want. And then they take a shovel, they throw it up into the air, and the wind blows away the chaff, separating it from the wheat, so that they're left with the nourishing and life-giving food that they require to, to have a life that thrives. Ordinarily, a person does this on the threshing floor. That's a place in the open air so that the wind can carry away. You saw this startling description here that he's doing this in a wine press. That is an enclosed area which is hidden. No wind at all can get in there. It's the last place on planet Earth that anyone who had the task of threshing out wheat would want to go. But he's not there because he wants to be, but because he has to be. And he has to be because he's afraid of the threat of an enemy. And what we see here is what happens in our lives when there is an adversary against us and we're anxious and afraid. We have to go into hiding and then ordinary things that should be done in one way have to be carried forward in another way, which is miserable for us. Use your imagination for a moment and just picture he's thrashing the wheat and then throwing it up. Where's the chaff going? I'll tell you, it's going up his nose. It's going in his eyes and in his mouth and then settling right back down on the wheat. Now, this is the moment in this miserable circumstance when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. Verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior." Now, that second phrase there, you mighty warrior, sounds maybe like sarcasm because in this moment, Gideon looks nothing at all like a warrior who has any might to speak of. He looks like a coward who's hiding. And in that instance, it's absolutely reasonable for Gideon to think either this messenger here is making fun of me or is totally insane because anyone with any sense can see I don't have any strength to speak of And not only that, but that first part, the Lord is with you, seems pretty hard to believe because of what life has become like. Pause the story for a moment. And this is a question for those of us who have faith and have believed in Jesus and accepted the promises which I've already spoken of this morning, which are that Christ brings peace. Has your life ever become so difficult that the thought that God is with you rings hollow? It doesn't quite seem true. Because if he were here, why threshing wheat in a wine press? Have you been there? That's where the Lord comes to Gideon. And when when the Lord says, I'm with you and you have might, Gideon's response in verse 13 is sensible. Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Sometimes we're afraid to ask honest questions like that if we are people of faith. By the way, there are some who've not yet believed, aren't sure about all this God stuff, and one of the primary reasons they don't believe is because they can look and say, look, if peace has come on earth, then why all this war? Just like Gideon, they'll say, if God's with us and why has all this happened? And so whether you're a person who's skeptical and you've got that question this morning, or you're a person of faith and your life has driven you to it, we're all in the same boat now as Gideon is in. We're all in the same wine press when we say, hold on a minute. If God's with us and why has all this happened? That's a fair question to ask, and it's the one that Gideon asks. He continues. He's on a roll here. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Uh, As he asks his first question, he starts to gain a little courage and he thinks, you know, the people who taught me about God said that God freed our people from Egypt where we were oppressed, but now when I look at life right now, it looks a lot like it's just as bad as they said it used to be because here we are oppressed once again. It's just a new form of Egypt. Have you ever thought of that? That's what Gideon says. So he asks that second question. Where is he? If he's freed us, why are we stuck still? And then he adds to his questions a cynical but honest assessment of why things are so bad. But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. That is, he looks at his circumstances and he says, I'll tell you the answer. It's God has cast us off. He doesn't care about us anymore. He's absent. He's removed himself from our presence. Or if you're really serious, he's not even there at all. He never was. Instead, he's given us into the hand of the enemy. The enemy's stronger than us now, and that's how it always will be. And feeling like that means hiding in a wine press instead of being out on the threshing floor where you belong. And this right here is a picture of what it looks like when an individual person is swallowed up in anxiety because of their circumstances, and it shows us even further what it looks like when a person of faith is there. So if that's you, let's pause for a minute and do some diagnosis, okay? What is anxiety in a moment like this? Here it is. Anxiety is the combination of two things. Powerlessness on the one hand, and a threat on the other hand, which seems to strike at the core of everything that you've ever considered to be valuable and of the essence of who you are as a person. Powerlessness and the threat combined is a recipe for life in a wine press. Uh, Here, listen, a little further on anxiety. It's the apprehension which is cued off by either a physical or an emotional or a spiritual enemy to some value which you hold essential to your existence as a personality. Uh, If you've been in anxiety, this maybe gives you some tools for thinking about it more concretely. If not you, someone you love, this is what it's like, okay? Get this. Maybe the thing which you identify yourself with is your job and the ability to provide for your family. And now it's threatened. Maybe you're going to lose it. And with it, Not only the job, because that's not the thing, but your identity as the provider and the person who's able to bring what your family needs home. If you are there, you are utterly trapped in anxiety. Yes? Yeah. Maybe it's not your job. Maybe you'd love it if you lost your job. You can't wait. You fantasize about quitting all the time. It's not that. But for you, it's your social status. It's what your peers think of you. It's whether someone's posting about you even right now It's what the kids are saying about you, and it fills you with dread. You may lose social points, and that's awful. It has you swallowed up. If you cannot relate to this, it's because you're too old, (laughs) right? Every young person is driven by this, and it's monstrous. Now, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's your perfect—maybe you're too spiritual for all that. Maybe for you it's your perfect moral record. You've always obeyed, and you're confident because of it but now maybe there's some secret shame that's slipped in and now you're hiding it and covering it up and now you're, you're terrified that it will come out. Maybe that's the thing you hide in. Who knows what it is? But each one of us will have a tempting pit which will want to swallow us up and keep us hidden because we're afraid and that's what anxiety is. And here's the trouble with it. In moments like that, two things we cannot be the men and women that God made us to be in the world which he loves and, please listen now, over which he has complete power. That's the one side. And the other side is the world can't benefit from us. And the way that God's love comes into the world is when the men and women who are finally trusting him and moving forward, his own people, say no to anxiety and fear and shame and grief and hiding and come out and go out and bless the world as God wants. And so now God comes to Gideon hiding and God is ready now to use his power to free him from the place where he is trapped, but it will only happen when Gideon is willing to move forward in faith. And what I want you to understand about Jesus and the gift of Christ at Christmas, this is everything, okay, is that you are completely free to walk in peace 100% because Peace has come in Christ. The light has come into the darkness. Every chain has been shattered by his power, and the enemy that will always oppress has been defeated in Christ when he died on the cross and then rose again. Sin has no more power over anyone at all. The door is wide open, and you're free to walk through it. And that's true. His power is there for you, but you will only experience it when you move forward in faith. I said that really fast. I didn't want to lose it, but you must see that. And now Gideon's story shows us how it works. Because after telling God, look, I know what happened. God abandoned us. God doesn't engage with Gideon's negativity for even a second. He doesn't try to defend himself and say, oh, no, 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 I was there all along. God doesn't care about any of that. He just wants to make a promise to Gideon, and it's a promise to everyone who will move forward in faith. This is verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you." And you must understand that God knows exactly how little might Gideon actually has which is none. He's a coward who's terrified and afraid and has completely given up on threshing where he should be threshing. And he's given up on God too. And God knows that, which is why he says, go in this might of yours. That's not God's way of saying, hey, you're really, really strong. No, that's what God's way of saying, this might of yours, which is practically zero, is enough for you to go forward. Why? Because I commission you. God himself wants you to understand that his commission for you, his calling for you, is to say no to the anxiety that threatens to swallow you up and move forward. Why? Because he's commissioned you. 15. This is Gideon's response. He responded, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You see, Gideon is not yet willing to look at God, but only wants to look at his clan and himself. The clan is the people, his family and extended family that God has put in his life, who have surrounded him. And as you may know, some of us have really strong friends, and we can count on them when things get hard. Not Gideon. He looks at his clan. He's like, they are the worst and the weakest. Maybe that's you. Your friends are incredibly lame. You can't count on them at all. And you you think, well, how am I going to make it? I don't have anybody to help me. And then you turn and look at yourself like Gideon did. And you said, and my friends are weak, but I'm the weakest of all of them. Have you ever felt like that? That's exactly where Gideon is, and it's true. Verse six, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. And that's it. It's the promise of God's presence right there with this weak individual which is going to enable him to experience the power, listen now, of God's deliverance, not his own power, the power of God's deliverance. And when he's willing to move forward in faith, he will experience it. And the promise of Christmas is the promise that God has come in Christ to be with us always. The name that he's given is Emmanuel. That means God is with us. And that's a promise from Christ to each one of us. And here we see what it looks like, the contours of God's coming and promising to give power for deliverance. We see what it, what it is of God to come and do that. But then we also see, don't we, that it will require something of Gideon too. Do you notice that? There's only one way Gideon will experience the reality of this promise of God's deliverance. And it's quite simple. The first step is that Gideon must exit the wine press. If he says, you know, I do believe, and I feel stirred in my heart, thanks for for the chat, and then he goes right back to the work in the same exact place, he should not expect to experience any of God's deliverance. And neither should you. And so here I want to tell you this, that the promise which is for you also is a challenge for you, and it is to exit whatever wine press you are currently hiding out in. And I don't know what it is. Uh, I hope that you do and that you're able to see it a little bit. Let me offer some perspective and some possibilities. Maybe the wine press that you're hiding in is the social mask that you have held up uh, in order to try to prop up your image uh, in whatever way the, the group that you're with has decided success looks. You wear that mask at school or at the office or at home or at church, and what it is really is a wine press that you're hiding in because you're too afraid of what it would mean for you to step out and be the you that God made you to, to be. Maybe you never talk about your faith at school, right? Nobody at work knows that you're a Christian, or you just can't be honest with who you are. Maybe that's the wine press that you need to take down uh maybe it's not that maybe it's the grind to earn more and more, which drives you into a pit of endless hours away from your family. And, and the money doesn't actually deliver the promise, but the way you deal with that is by going deeper into the pit and working even harder because you've believed this threat from your Midianite, which is the, the dream that more, 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 more will make you better. Your adversary is the matrix of being driven and afraid and alone in your endless commute and the office grind of scarcity. You're like, wow, I need to rewrite that. That's a great description of my job. (laughs) Uh, But if that's not you, maybe it's vanity and beauty. Uh, With each year, you feel less like the you that you want to project. And now you feel that no one could really love you because you've learned to believe it's on your appearance. Listen, these are just three possibilities. Whatever the wine press is, is, is that you're hiding in, the first step toward you experiencing God's power, the mighty power of God in Christ is for you, just like it was here for Gideon, and that is to get out of the wine press. You have to exit the wine press. That's number one. Uh, Now, let's come back to Gideon's story. He gets out of the wine press, and the moment he gets out, can you just imagine how frightening it would be to be him, to be imagining, not only imagining, but actually taking steps towards something that you're sure you could never do, which was to engage in battle with an army that's way stronger than all of your people. Can you feel the fear? All right? He's afraid, and in verse 17, he asks this messenger, the angel of the Lord, for something. Look at verse 17. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor with you, that is, if now that I've stepped out of the wine press, um, you're willing to give me something, he says this, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Now, this is fairly simple. Gideon needs some reassurance in order to keep going because he's now taking a big risk. He needs some sense uh, that is beyond what he's already experienced, that God is trustworthy and present with him. He needs some measure of confidence that he hasn't yet got. And so he asks for a sign. Has anyone here uh, ever asked God for a sign when endeavoring on a new path? Um, Some of us will have, others will be very hesitant to. I was with a friend in the city Uh, This week, and he was talking about a major step out of a wine press. And he told me, You know, I've started to ask God for signs, which is not something that I ordinarily do. And then he told me one, two, three remarkable things that God had shown him. And you know, he was still wrestling with the decision. And that's actually what happens with Gideon. Gideon says, Give me a sign, stay here. He goes back to his house, he brings bread and meat offers it to the traveler, he sets it down there in a rock, and this heavenly messenger touches it with his staff, and poof, it ignites in flames, and just, it, it, it boom, it evaporates right there. And that's a sign. That's pretty cool, right? And Gideon's like, okay, uh, we can work with this. He, he now starts to get a little confidence. He leaves that moment, he starts to talk to members of other clans. He sends messengers to other uh, tribes of Israel and he starts to gather some soldiers up, because now God has shown him something which is good. But then he's got the troops together, and he's feeling confident, but but it's the evening, and he begins to be afraid again, and wonder if it wasn't just his imagination. And so he asks for another sign, this time with his fleece. Some of you will know about the sign of Gideon's fleece. It's a sheepskin. He makes a deal with God before he goes to sleep one night. He says, God, Here's the deal. If, if, if I wasn't just imagining it and that whole you know, microwave explosion uh, thing wasn't just in my wishes and you're real, I'm gonna set the fleece out at night and when the dew comes, how about this? Instead of letting the dew cover everything like it has every day since I've been a kid, how about just the fleece is wet and everything else is dry? Goes to sleep, wakes up, the fleece is so soaking wet, he can wring it out and it fills an entire bowl with water and there's no dew anywhere else. That's pretty amazing, right? And Gideon... Needs another sign. (laughs) He says, all right, God, uh, that's great, but how about this? Before I go to the next line, he says, how about this time? All the water is on the rocks, but the fleece is dry, right? He keeps asking for more and more, and the reason he keeps asking for more and more is even people of faith have a hard time accepting it even when God gives them everything they need to see. And so the second step of faith for Gideon is that Gideon must accept the signs. He's asked for them. He's seen them repeatedly. Now it's time for him to accept them. And I'm sure of this. Whether you know it or not, God has given you some signs that what I'm talking about this morning is true. Now, those of you who have faith already, your heart is saying yes. Yes. Those of you who don't have faith, whose hearts are saying, no, I'm, I, don't, I, I haven't seen a sign like that. You have seen a sign, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now. Here's one. You came in here this morning having no idea what I was going to talk about. You came in here this morning with a wine press that you're hiding in, and it's secret to you, and I've never even met you, and now I start to talk, and there's a a voice in your head that's saying, oh my gosh, is this guy in my brain reading what's going on for me? How is that possible? And I'll tell you how it's possible. I can't read your mind at all. I have no idea what's going on in there, but God does. And God wanted you to come here this morning, and he wanted you to hear something that would inspire you even a tiny bit, even a tiny little bit so that you would be awakened in your soul and your heart would be stirred to think maybe there is something to all of this God stuff. And let me tell you, that's a sign. And you should accept that sign. That's one. Do you see it? Uh, Here's another one. Maybe you think, no, nothing, no feeling for me. But when you read those words of Isaiah's, you were here last week maybe and you heard me read about how there would be no more anguish. That grief would go away. That sighing and sorrow would flee away. That no more pain and no more anguish. That the hand of God would come and wipe every tear from your eye. And God's dwelling would be with us. There'd be no more. When you hear those words, there's something in your spirit that awakens. in, in, In a way that nothing else ever can awaken it. And that's another sign. You know that that's God's word, which is living and active and can pierce even the strongest defense mechanisms to reach right in and give your heart what God himself knows you need that I could never know. That's the second sign. If you've ever been stirred even a little bit by the word of God and you're thinking, oh, if only God would give me a sign, can I ask you to accept that he already has given you one? Can, Can you see that? Yes or no? Here's another one. Every person in this room right now was made by God to be one of the ways that he would give you the love that you need even now. We go about living parallel lives and so we never become the rescue and deliverance that God made us to be for the people around us. But I can tell you this morning that another sign that God is for you and with you is every human being in this room who God is just waiting for each one of us to follow him and to be God's presence for another. Those are some signs. What you need to do is get out of the wine press and then accept the signs that God has given you already. If you will do that, then you can join Gideon in the third movement of faith, which accepts God's power, not which is powerful enough. Do not believe that. You do not have the power and strength God does, but you can accept and experience it when you're ready to move in this third way, which Gideon does. Here's verse one in chapter seven. Then... Jerubal, that is Gideon, and there's a story behind that name, and that will be for another time. And all of the troops that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Mora in the valley. This is a description of, of a tactical military development. After leaving the winepress and accepting the signs, Gideon spreads word. He gathers a massive amount of troops, and they position themselves for battle in a valley, hiding behind the mountain which separates them from the enemy which God has promised to them that they will defeat. And there Gideon is with all of his troops when God comes to speak to him right there. Okay, before we read it, listen, picture this. You've got now a lot of folks on your side against this enemy. And you're ready to go into battle now because you've begun to trust. And God comes to you and says this. This is verse 2. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Now, you'd expect that the one thing Gideon would be afraid of is that God would come and say, Hey, listen, you don't have enough troops Uh, to win this battle, so you're not ready yet. And I cannot tell you how many times you and this guy right here fail to move forward in the things that God calls us to because we think we don't have enough troops yet when the problem is actually the exact opposite. We've gathered too much strength, and here's why that's a problem. God tells him, Israel would only take the credit away from me, saying my own hand has delivered me. And the one problem that God does not want Gideon to fall into is the trap of believing that it is the strength of Gideon and everybody with him that actually overcame the adversary because the best thing for Gideon is to know that only God's power is enough. And anything that tricks you into thinking that only when you have enough power... Then you can face the battle. We'll keep you from the best thing, uh, which is the best thing for you, which is to trust God's power. That's the thing God made you for, to live each step of your life trusting his power and not in the power of your own might. And so God comes to Gideon and says, too many, because Gideon has 32,000 troops. God says, all right, ask everyone. Whoever's afraid, you're free to go. He says it, 22,000 troops depart. Can you imagine the experience, right? You've got 32,000, and now it's down to 10. All right, uh, maybe we still got this, right? Then God says, all right, too many still. Bring them down to the river and tell them to drink. Everyone who drinks like a normal person with their hands, you send them home. The only ones I want behind are the guys who don't even have time to use their hands, who just shove their faces in there, and blah, 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 blah. It says that in the original Hebrew. And it's 300 men who are left another 9,700 leave. And now they're in the valley facing the the enemy without the possibility of mistaking whose power is going to make this happen. And that's the most important thing for you to receive is the truth about whose power is going to deliver you. It's not yours. It's the power of almighty Jesus. And what Gideon must do is Gideon must trust God's power. He has to accept it. And he has to accept it truly, not just with his mouth, but in reality. And what that means for him is he's going to have to move forward not feeling secure. And that may be true for you, too. The thing that God is inviting you to come forward on is not something that you will be able to go forward on when you finally have enough courage and stop being afraid. That is one thing that will keep you from doing anything. And God wants you to do something. He wants you to move forward. And you have to trust God's power to do it. Now, uh, with those 300, uh, right on the brink of this challenge, uh, God uh, visits on that same night when it's just the 300 of them. And in verse 9, we see what God says to Gideon. This is the last challenge. That same night, the Lord said to him, Get up, attack the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Uh, This right here is the challenge which basically puts Gideon in this last position, which is that he must go into battle. There's just no way around it. Uh, God's not gonna make it all happen as you sit back and watch from a distance as if on your couch and it's a television show. Life is not like that. It means moving forward right into the battle. And whatever the battle is for you, if it's a social battle with friends, if it's a relational battle with someone in your family, if it's a professional battle at work, if it's a moral battle with an addiction that you can't master, if it's a change of everything battle, hitting a reset on life and letting it all start again, which is so hard because you can't let go of all of that. You have to go into the battle in order to experience the power of God, which is for you, but which will be yours when you move forward in faith. Do you see it? With Gideon, they have torches under the cover of jars so that they can have the element of surprise. They spread out all around the armies. Every single one of them has a shofar, which is in, in here we might read trumpet. Those are supposed to be for the leader of a battalion. So they blast them all at once, break the jars so the light breaks on all of the enemies. It sounds to the, the vast army that there must be many, many, many thousands of foes. And in their confusion and in the dark, the enemy turns their swords on each other. And they don't, Gideon and his men don't need to hurt anybody. They kill themselves. The enemy is its own worst enemy. Do you see it? And here is where we see the most profound and deep, and I would say beautiful connection between this story and how it goes with Jesus. If you don't know the story of Jesus, he came to free us by his power, not by our power. And he came when we had as little might and strength as Gideon did hiding out in the wine press because every one of us was a captive to a a power that we could never break free from, sin and death. And here comes Jesus loving us, being born living for us, growing up for us, walking on that ugly path to the cross for us, dying there on the cross for us in a way that it appeared that the enemy had actually won. It looked like there on Calvary, the devil won. But what the devil didn't know is that in killing Jesus, evil itself was finally and fully defeated. And that wasn't apparent until the third day when Jesus came up from the grave. And when he comes up from the grave, he says to us, you're going to live in this battlefield for a little while longer. It will be like three days and no more when you look back on it. But there will be a day when the victory of Jesus is fully unveiled and every one of us is invited to embrace his ultimate victory over our worst adversary, the devil. And the devil killed himself when Jesus died on the cross. And all we need to do between now and then, this is it. Look at these. Number one is get out of the wine press. Exit it. Whatever wine press you're in for safety, get out of it. Is it going to be more dangerous for you? Yeah, of course, but get out of it. The second thing that each of us can do is after exiting this wine press, each of us needs to accept the signs which God has given. When your heart says, I just need another sign, think of Gideon and say, I've seen enough. And then, listen, trust in God's power for you. It's present and it's mighty for you at every step. It's there. And if it's not coming into play in the way you wish it would, maybe your expectations are the things that need to be destroyed. And let that happen. And then accept this right here. Ready? Go into battle uh, with the power of Almighty Christ with you there. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for this brilliant story of this one man who shows us how your power comes and defeats the enemy that robs us of peace, and how we ourselves are invited in faith to accept your power and move forward like Gideon did. God, for every heart that's in here which is crushed and vexed because of anxiety, would your spirit come now and give some hope, give some confidence, give some relief. Begin already to work your power even now as I pray in in our hearts. And then make us brave. Uh, And when we're not brave, help us move forward anyway. God, we want to grow as people who trust you with our lives and move forward because of it. And then we ask that you would use us in this world that is in such desperate need of the witness that only we can be when we follow you. Help us do that in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.